Hi, I'm Mary C. Curtis, and this is Equal Time. Childcare has been at the center of President Biden's agenda. Everything from boosting the earned income tax credit and paid parental leave to universal pre-K. While many sectors of society, doctors, parents, and educators have been advocating for change in supporting families with children, there's one sector who has lobbied for universal pre-K. And it just may come as a surprise. Law enforcement. Yes, that's right. Law enforcement from both sides of the aisle has been involved in fight crime, invest in kids, advocating for investment in policies and programs that put kids on a path to a productive life. Providing robust early education is one piece of solving a challenge that is complex and includes considering such issues as implicit bias in the classroom and in policing. But it is an important piece. Today, we speak with Vernon Stanforth, the president of the National Sheriff's Association, who's been elected seven times in his home state of Ohio. He's now part of the public push to establish universal pre-K. Welcome to Equal Time, Sheriff Stanforth. Thank you for having me. We're really uh, happy to have you on to talk about your program to our listeners. So I want to start off to see if you can connect the dots for our Equal Time listeners and explain how the issue of universal pre-K would be a way to stem crime down the line. Well, I, 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 most people uh, most people have done any type of research or study will find out that uh, a, a child whose mind is occupied with good things will have good results. And if we've, uh, we can occupy our children at a very early age and get them acclimated into society, uh, social skills, uh, and, and their minds are so open at, the, at a very early age to are so receptive. Um, and so we want to make sure that they are receiving good quality information and education at a very young age. Um, and, and, and it helps the family unit. It helps our communities. Um, and as a, as a byproduct, if it helps reduce crime, that's a great thing. Yeah, and you've seen this in action in your work as sheriff. Every day, every day. I found long enough uh, uh, before there was such a thing as preschool. Uh, I'm not a product of preschool. Um, I, I remember going to the first grade and all these kids were talking about kindergarten. That was so foreign to me because I was a very rural area and kindergarten wasn't even on the chart when I started school. And I noticed those kids, even at, at the age of six or seven, I was noticing the children that had gone to preschool had an advantage over me uh, walking into the first day of first grade, they could write their name. They could, uh, they could recite their address. They could tie their shoes. Um, those are skills that I didn't possess walking in. Uh, I mean, I, I thought I, I thought I knew everything as a six year old because I had a good home life, uh, but it's a very rural life. So I, 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 I sensed that I missed out on that. And as my years went out, I became a parent we started in, we started getting our children involved in in uh, that educational process at a very early age. My father and I, I reflect back a little bit. My mother couldn't read, and I didn't know she couldn't read until after I was married. But she made sure that we read. She would let us read to her, and, and she was she was doing early education intervention for us uh, without the system uh, available system back then. And even though she was, uh, my parents were products of the uh, Depression era, 
and life was different back there for Americans. And, and she, she didn't learn to read. I read uh, when doing some research that a first grade teacher once told you that she could pick out who in her class would wind up in jail in 20 years. So what kind of criteria were she, was she using? And do her, you her think- classroom skills, her classroom knowledge. She'd been doing this for 25, 30 years. And, and she was able to, she said, she looked at the classroom. We were staying in the hallway. And I was, I was a, uh, a D.A.R.E. officer at the time. Uh, that was before school resource officers was it was cliche. Uh, and I was happened to be in the classroom and she was pointing out and uh, she pointed out the kids in that class uh, that needed some intervention. And uh, so I started playing, uh, spending time on the playground with these kids, uh, spent time with them. And some of their, some that were so ingrained uh, because they were already lost at the first grade level. Yeah. Do you think she was accurate in making those judgments so early? She was. And I kind of followed that through the years. And we found some of those kids that she identified were, were problems. And I think in that conversation we had, and this you know, many, many years ago, she said, if we could have got to them earlier, we could have up this. But Sheriff, is it really that simple? I, I know that there are studies that show that even in pre, pre-K and kindergarten, that implicit bias is a factor as black and brown students are disproportionately suspended and even arrested uh, with these officers in schools for the same behaviors that don't have the same results for white children. So a teacher judging that uh, might have some implicit bias going on. Won't efforts to give educational aid to children have to be paired with equity reforms? I wasn't aware of the term implicit bias for for a long time. It just wasn't it just wasn't something that I'd been educated on. And uh, recently, I was uh, in, several years ago under a different governor. Uh, I was asked to participate in a, a collaborative uh, group uh, going around the state and looking at some of the police issues and, and uh, uh, law enforcement issues in the state of Ohio. And I had the the, the uh, the pleasure of sitting with some some people that were so knowledgeable. And we sat around the state, uh, we would have briefing briefings and we would have discussions. And uh, implicit bias was with I was educated on implicit bias uh, and and really what it meant. It wasn't a clinical term, it was a real life application. Um, and, and so I, it was educational for me. And I think that same thing needs to be done at every level of our society. We need to understand what it really means to be biased. We are all biased in some form or another. Uh, and but the implicit bias is something that uh, through the educational process that I had, uh, that I personally had on my own level, uh, I found out that uh, we're lacking that. And that, and that I, I, I have to agree with you that uh, the teacher was, she, and now the students that she pointed out, uh, they were not black students. Uh, uh, they were, uh, uh, she, there, there, I, I didn't notice that at least. And, but, but I agree with what you're saying. There's been a, there perhaps a different response uh, based on race within, our, within all forms of society. And that's where the education has to come in um, and at every level. 
Yeah. So this the education reform has to be paired with also have having teachers really think about that as they're judging, you know, their students. So um, now I know you you know a little bit about the Perry preschool study and what it revealed. Could you tell us a little bit about that? What we did find is that um, we had a peak of uh, preschool programming in the, in the United States. And then uh, just before the, uh, the pandemic hit, we started seeing a decline. And I think now we're even seeing a bigger decline. And I think it, 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 the fact that uh, when you when we have students that are when we have children that are exposed to to preschool education, they are less likely to be uh, 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 less likely to have negative interactions with, within society as they grow older. Uh, I think you're going to see a less less likely to, the study is going to show less likely incarceration, less likely to see violations, uh, and and. Uh, and I think those are the good things that the study has shown is that the value of uh, continuing these programs, expanding these programs. Um, I, I, I believe there's a study that shows there's like two and a half million three-year-olds, probably the equal number of four-year-olds. Uh, and we're not reaching all of those kids. And I think the study is showing that when we don't reach those children and we need a universal program that all children of that age have the have uh, accessibility to the preschool program, and the parents have the option of preschool program. Uh, you know, and, and you know, it wasn't too long ago that mothers didn't leave, weren't outside the home, uh, and now in the last year they've been back in the home, unfortunately, and uh, through the due to the pandemic. Um, but there was a time when you know preschool was was not was not really viewed as being needed. Because the mothers were already were home all day long, and they didn't work outside the home. Some uh, mothers, some mothers had uh, to work all the time. Well, so, uh, yeah, they, yeah, they've always but, but been. That, women but that's been. a shift in a shift in our society, and, and now mm. every mother is is a working mother, wants to be a career uh, person, um, and but yet uh, they don't they want they don't want their child missing out on on the. Uh, I think the the social aspect of uh, preschool is valuable. And the children learning to interact well with each other. Yeah, yeah. Now I know as a sheriff, you you deal with, of course, incarceration, and uh, and I've read that there's a connection between incarceration and education. Uh, have you found that? Uh, I believe there is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I, I believe that there is a, a, a when a when a child does not complete his high school education, solid educational background that. They get frustrated. There's a frustration level that we, they may not be able to articulate. We may not be able to see it, but I think that's the frustration level, and often that played out uh, in in the dynamics of a home um, with uh, violence in the home because they can't ex- they they can't express themselves or frustration because they can't get the proper jobs. They can't they advance themselves in their careers, um, uh, and. You know, I, I reflect back on a, a couple of months ago, a personal story. I hate, I hate to give too many stories here because when we get older, we become storytellers. But I had a, a young couple. Uh, both were uh, non-high school graduates, and they had started their family. And uh, the, the husband was a first-time offender. And this we had started a program dealing with, and this is, once again, pre my pre-law enforcement career. So just as it's, but this was a, a, 
a program designed for first offenders, hopefully breaking that cycle for them, getting them in the, in the GED uh, and, and making their life, home life a very positive experience. And I, I followed that couple through many years. They, they, they've had their children. Uh, they're no longer married to each other any longer. But their focus has always been on giving their children the best education they have. Uh, they have a special needs. One of their children has special needs. And I follow that children through our special needs program uh, quite a bit. I see them on a regular basis. And the interaction of the parents is they were so involved in this child's life uh, to make sure that he had everything he could that he needed to be a, a, a productive adult. Uh, even though he has challenges, uh, but he's still been a productive part of uh, in his in his life and in their life. Um, but they have too. They have been very productive. They've not. They they've been very positive uh, role models uh, for their for their uh, family, and hopefully they'll continue on that path. So I want to delve a little bit into your adventures in Washington. Uh, you did appear before Congress. So uh, what was your reception? when you appear before them to make your case and the case for your organization, because there's so much partisan back and forth now. Well, we deal with Congress on a daily basis. I did not appear before a hearing in Congress, a uh, clarification there. Okay. Uh, we, we've talked to, we call, we talk to um, bipartisan uh, congressmen all the time. We're dealing with the Department of Justice, a lot of, a lot of their issues, uh, dealing with law enforcement. Um, and, uh, and of course, it's just, you know, there's just a list after list after list. I find the Biden administration, um, uh, the, the Department of Justice, they are listening to us. Hopefully they take this stuff and put it back and, and uh, uh, they'll look at the, the reports. They'll look at the uh, studies that, uh, that fight crime and invested kids have, have invested in and produced. And they'll realize that uh that in, in, to address a lot of the issues in our communities, in our city, as well as rural, that educating our children at a very early age is paramount and necessary in order to fight the, the, the onslaught of crime that we have across, the, across our communities. Um, and it still has to be a community-based program. Communities have to be buying into these programs. It just can't be force-fed from Congress or from the Department of Justice or Department of Education it has to be something that's that's uh, in, that is that's formally received and is, and and has a value to our local communities. Uh, ha- has your organization been you know, advocating for funds uh, in all this legislation that's been going on in Congress for pre-K to make sure that that uh, those issues pre-K and the child care and all of that that they are made paramount as Congress is discussing what to include. We, we have made it paramount that uh, we, we've, uh, we are uh, advocates of the Fight Crime Investing Kids programming, uh, and most uh, many sheriffs and chiefs across the country are actively involved in their state legislation uh, and, and with their legislators, as well as the national associations are involved with our uh, federal legislators in trying to advocate for a, a better future for our children by investing in them at a very early age. Yeah. Now, um, you you have bipartisan support from members of Congress for your efforts, and your own organization is. Um, you are a Republican, and right now, I think there's a model for universal pre-K in West Virginia where Joe Manchin is representing, and he's been 
uh, along with most every Republican, a vocal opponent of some of the amount of the spending overall. Um, so it took a while for that to roll out. So um, how, how do you make the case that this uh, kindergartners who participated in preschool, they did, I, I think, according to studies, have better math and literacy skills. So how do you make the case that this should be paramount and that this really helps longer range academic and social benefits? Well, they need to, they need to look at this issue as a funding issue by itself and not with all the other hyperboil that goes around with everything else. And this is not an issue of, of any other topic other than our children. And that has to be a paramount thing for, our, for, for Congress to look at. Um, and when they start, you know, it, 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 they, they want to, this is just a small part of this larger bill that needs to be a bill in itself. And I think, I think a bill by itself would pass. Uh, I think we'd get bipartisan support. Um, but the, they, the, our legislators want to you know, dirty the water. Uh, so it's, it's murky. Uh, and there's needs to be clear vision from our legislators that they need to invest in our children and, you know, and not hold them hostage to, uh, to uh, legislative bickering uh, with other financial things. I mean, we're, you know, educating our children has nothing to do with building a bridge. Building our bridges are good things, but it has nothing to do with all the other things they want to throw into these bills. They need to focus on educating our children and providing a good, solid, early intervention uh, educational programs. Yeah. Well, you've been at this for a long time, both law enforcement and your work with this organization. So looking at this, as well as being a sheriff and being a part of every part of this criminal justice uh, process, what do you think? Have we as a nation made progress in the last 25 years? And, and how? Or how have we not? How far do we have to go? We have a long way to go, but we're always making progress. Uh, we may not see it as progress, but we we do. I mean, even though we're, I I I think the study is showing a slight decrease in uh, opportunities for for pre K. Uh, we need to back. We need to we need to rethink this, and that needs to be the priority uh, with our three and four year olds, getting them the uh, exposure to uh, uh, early childhood education. Um, so we can't let that slide, and that's that's critical. Uh, but I think, you know, we, 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 we also can't be negative. And we're, right now we're a negative society, and, and, and we can't be. We, we've got to look at the positive. Uh, we've got to look at, at how this is benefiting our communities, how it's benefiting our uh, society overall. Um, you know, I, I, you know I, I, when I see a child reading and, and desire to read, at three or four years old. I mean, I'm, I'm beyond that. I've got a grandchild. I've one grandchild that that is uh, uh, now almost 16 years old, and you know, I look back at his learning experience. His mother was so involved in everything he did, and he was so his mind was so eager. I I, I took a picture that I I've kept on my phone of his first time he was right. He wrote his name for me. And he was just a little guy. He's only like four. He's probably four years old. And he wrote his name. He's so proud of that. Um, and he's, 
And, and I'm thinking other children are the same way. We kind, of, we kind of lose that perspective as parents, but as grandparents, it's, it's much more valuable uh, when we see our, our grandchildren learning in that way. And I think that's as a society, we need to, to start looking at this as from a grandparent's viewpoint and that we need to provide the best for our children. We always want the best for our children. But as grandparents, we're looking at this in a different perspective. Yes. So everybody and should look at every child the same way as they would look at their own child or grandchild as far as potential and what they would want for them. And if we would do that, we would solve a lot of these issues, a lot of this bickering, a lot of this, uh, you know, uh, you know, we would we would focus on how to make this better for our kids in the next 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, it's just it's just. Uh, and it's it's a it, some of the numbers we're looking at are, are probably concerning uh, that if we have a decline. We need to reverse that and start focusing on yeah. uh, growing these programs. Yeah, well, I, I, well, I still have you. I have to ask you: Were you disappointed when reform broke down uh, that uh, effort? And do you, what do you think needs to be done next on the federal level? I, I think that you know we we look at uh, the reform and. We were, we were, we thought we were making progress, and when the when the partisanship intervened and and it blew it apart, uh, we thought there would be there was progress being made. Uh, they were interacting with law enforcement, they were interacting with the national sheriffs, they were interacting with the international chiefs of police, the FOP. We were all having the discussions. We thought we were making progress on the police reform package uh, that Senator. Uh, Scott in South Carolina was proposing uh, when they, when that was all of a sudden it was the, the, the rug was pulled off from underneath the, the, the bill and it disintegrated. And uh, so now I think we can do it again. If we did it six months ago, we can still have that dialogue now and uh, having interested parties uh, there. We, you know, you got to be careful with change, you know, change just to be changing is dangerous. But changing for a cause and changing with with having a clear vision of what that change needs to be is valuable, uh, and that's I think where the, this police reform needs to be. We need to if, we, if we're going to change it, it has to be clear vision as to what that change needs to be and how we're going about yeah. that. Yeah, well, I see Tim Scott, Senator from South Carolina. You mentioned he was working with uh, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker and Congresswoman Karen Bass from California, so they were working for quite a while on it. So. And I think they still can. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, 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 they shown that they can be a good team, uh, but they need to get back to the table and we need to, we need to get this back uh, in, in a discussion stage and, and uh, make it a, a viable part of our policing nationwide. Um, and it's still keeping in mind that policing is a hometown issue. Uh, whether it's a village police department of one, law enforcement officer, metropolitan police with 3,000 police officers. It's still crime is a local thing and policing is a local thing, but we do have to have the guidance and the support of our federal partners. And to mix two issues, you do see now more police officers in schools and that kind of looks to the need for reform. It, It weaves in the issues of reform, implicit bias, and all of those things. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for appearing on Equal Time, Sheriff Stanforth. I could talk to you quite a while about a variety of issues when it comes to policing, education, and uh, what's going on in this country right now. So I know you've got a lot of work to do. Have a good day. 
But I, I do appreciate you. Thank you very much. So what's keeping me up at night? Well, contemplating how taking the high road has become passe. Not in what we say, but in how many leaders and grown-up Americans who should know better behave. It's depressing, exhausting, but is it inevitable? Do folks need to change behaviors or just stop being hypocritical? I write about it in my roll call column this week. Check it out. Now, one equal time listener is on the same wavelength. She worries about what she calls the deep anger she sees everywhere. It seems, she says, that there is, quote, no middle ground, unquote. Let me know what's on your mind by tweeting me at mcurtisnc3. And thank you for listening to Equal Time. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.